Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. We received an invitation from our neighborhood newspaper to place an ad for Easter. Unitarian Universalist minister Daniel Budd is talking. Someone suggested that it should say something like, join us, we're not sure what happened. We're not sure what happened. But we know what it's like when someone appears whose message we feel offers hope, who inspires us with new ways of living that touch our hearts and lift our spirits. We're not sure what happened. But we know what it's like when someone has grown profoundly into our lives. His seems as much a part of us as our own breathing, whose presence lives in our souls. And we know what it's like when death takes them from us. And the empty place in our souls is like a tomb or an empty tomb. We're not sure what happened. But we know what it's like to feel despair and grief and waves of tears. And we know those times when memories and stories begin to fill the emptiness, begin to shore us up again with a different presence. We're not sure what happened. But we know what it's like to have it dawn on us that those we have known and loved live on with and within us as part of who we are. We know that somehow in our hearts and souls, this resurrection is real. A spirit renewed, even reborn, in the midst of our lives and our living. We're not sure what happened. But we know that through whatever grief we feel, there is also a growing sense of grace and gratitude and joy in the mysterious and abiding astonishment that is life. Much has been made of the close of Jesus' life as recorded in the earliest gospel, the book of Mark, written down 70 years after Jesus' death. The story ends with Mary and Mary Magdalene arriving at Jesus' tomb and finding it empty. A young man sitting at the tomb tells them simply, he is not here. They leave the tomb and say nothing to anyone. He is not here. Where is he? He is in the minds and hearts and souls of those whose lives his life touched. Easter reminds us that all we can know of resurrection, 
is right here, right now. Life calls us on. When I was serving our congregation in Provincetown, an older woman named Kay left her house for the first time in nearly 20 years to come visit with me in my study. She wept the entire time she spoke. She had been, she said, in a long, wonderful relationship with a woman named Ruth, with whom she was serving in the armed forces. Their relationship was a closely held secret. To tell it would have ended their careers. They lived and loved in their own world. One night, just before dawn, Ruth died of a heart attack. Kay crept out of bed, smoothed the sheets where she had lain, gathered up the few possessions she had dared to leave in Ruth's apartments, took Ruth's favorite coffee cup from the dish drainer, kissed her goodbye, and crawled out a window. Ruth's memorial service was held within the week. Kay slipped in and sat in the back. No one acknowledged her presence. The casket was closed before Kay could say a final goodbye. She was shattered. This might have been the end of the story, but it wasn't. Kay agreed to a do-over. And so we planned another memorial service, and God bless my congregation. Once they heard the story, everyone showed up, and it was beautiful. The reception lasted long into the afternoon when we planted two trees in memory of Kay and Ruth together and installed a brass plaque. It says, love never dies. This is what I know of resurrection. This is what I know of resurrection. We have to practice it. As American poet Wendell Berry says, practice resurrection. Life calls us on. One morning when apartheid was still the law in South Africa and Nelson Mandela was still imprisoned, Archbishop Desmond Tutu was preaching at an ecumenical service at St. George's Cathedral in Cape Town. And then members of the South African security police walked in. You can picture this. American pastor Jim Wallace was there. In his book, God's Politics, he writes, Desmond Tutu stopped preaching and just looked at the intruders as they lined the walls of his cathedral, wielding writing pads and tape recorders to record whatever he said and so threatening him with consequences for any bold, prophetic utterances. They had already arrested him and other church leaders just a few weeks before and kept them in jail for several days to make a statement. Those who take on religious leadership roles in the struggle against apartheid will be treated like any other opponents of the Pretoria regime. After meeting their eyes with his in a steady gaze, the archbishop acknowledged their power. You are powerful. You are very powerful. But he reminded them that he serves a higher power than their political authority. 
And then in the most extraordinary challenge to political tyranny I have ever witnessed, Archbishop Desmond Tutu told the representatives of South African apartheid, since you have already lost, I invite you today to come and join the winning side. He said it with a smile on his face and an enticing warmth in his invitation, but with a clarity and a boldness that took everyone's breath away. The congregation's response was electric. The crowd was literally transformed by this challenge to power from a cowering fear of the heavily armed security forces that surrounded the cathedral and greatly outnumbered the band of worshipers. We literally leapt to our feet, shouting the praises of God, and began dancing. We danced right out of the cathedral. And the military forces, who hardly expected a confrontation with dancing worshipers, backed up to make way for the people of faith to dance for freedom. Jesus' disciples came to believe that he was alive again with them, fueling a religious movement that's lasted thousands of years, a movement that runs on the belief in a personal rebirth and relief from the great burdens of sin and suffering. Some of us would shift the emphasis from that salvation to Jesus' seditious doctrine of loving our neighbors as ourselves and doing unto others as we would have others do unto us. Every day, we are proffered the choice to throw our weight to the side of love and embrace a spirit renewed, reborn, resurrected. My colleague Dick Gilbert says, a tomb is no place to stay. Life calls us on. In 2006, in his early 20s, Hassan al-Kantar left his native Syria for the United Arab Emirates, hoping to provide greater financial security for his family, working as an insurance marketing manager. Five years later, the Arab Spring gave way to the brutal civil war in Syria, and suddenly, Hassan couldn't get his work permit renewed. He could not fathom serving in the Syrian army. He couldn't go home. When his visa ran out, he traveled to Malaysia under a temporary visa. And when that visa ran out, he booked a flight to Ecuador. His mother sold a gold necklace to help him pay for the $2,000 plane ticket. But as he was waiting to board, his ticket was canceled without an explanation or a refund. He found himself stranded at the Kuala Lumpur International Airport with no visa and no money. He sent messages to embassies and international aid groups, no response. He slept under a stairwell, eating leftover airline food. Days turned into months. He began tweeting videos of himself. Despite his dire situation, in one post, he's celebrating getting a chocolate bar. In another, he's singing happy birthday to a member of the airport cleaning staff. His videos caught the attention of 58-year-old Lori Cooper, a mother of two in Whistler, British Columbia, who was volunteering with Canada Caring 
to sponsor Syrian refugees to come to her country. She says, my personal motivation comes from being a mom. I thought, well, Hassan's mom can't help him, so maybe I'm in a position to help. Lori sent applications and letters on his behalf and collected more than 60,000 signatures for a petition to Canada's immigration minister. Seven months after arriving at the Malaysian airport, Hassan was arrested by 13 armed gods, taken to a small cold cell and threatened with deportation to Syria. He had no idea what was happening in the outside world, but Lori continued to work on his behalf. And finally, the Canadian government approved his sponsorship papers. We got 24 hours notice that he was coming, she says, and that was just unbelievable. This past November, Lori Cooper met Hassan Alcantar at the Vancouver International Airport. Truly, she says, when I saw him at the airport, I felt like my son was coming home. My son was home now. And since then, Hassan has been living with Lori and her family and working to help other Syrians, telling their stories and aiding them to seek refuge. He says, I knew it was going to happen one day. I didn't know it was going to be so beautiful. Beloved spiritual companions, we're not sure what happened, but we do know this. A tomb is no place to stay. We're not sure what happened, but Easter reminds us that this resurrection is real. Who we have known and loved live on with and within our minds and hearts and souls. A spirit renewed, even reborn, in the midst of our lives and our living. We're not sure what happened, but we do know this. Love never dies. May we practice resurrection. Life calls us on. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.